0: Hey everybody, since the podcast break is lasting longer than expected, as always, I thought I'd post the audio from this virtual sort of AMA event with Andrew Yang that I attended today. He pretty well lays out at the start of it his new focus going forward, which is advocating and organizing for open primaries with ranked choice voting, by which it seems he means no primaries. As expected, it doesn't sound like he'll be starting a third party, just a democracy reform organization. Presumably we'll get more details on October 5th. I can't very well say that the AMA portion is worth listening to because the questions were all about things Yang has answered a hundred times already or stuff that's in the book. In one of the questions, he was asked his opinion on the child tax credit. Maybe next we can ask him if he's in favor of UBI. I submitted a question about whether he and Humanity Forward would be pushing Biden to adopt the American scorecard, but that was not chosen. Needless to say, I was very disappointed with whoever was choosing the questions. We had an opportunity to get a lot of new information and ended up with nothing, but if you have a high pain tolerance, the entire recording is here. Or if you prefer to stare at Yang's mug while listening to him, I've added just what you need in the YouTube upload.
1: Enjoy. Great to see you. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Woo. Liam, good to see you. Good Uh, to see you too, Andrew. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Uh, I am so pumped for my book and the book tour starting on Tuesday. And it's a pleasure to be able to talk to so many awesome supporters of Humanity Forward, which is one of the things that I'm proudest of in my entire life, certainly my career, is being a part of starting Humanity Forward. Uh, So Humanity Forward, awesome org trying to get cash into people's hands, how can you you be against that? Uh, but thank you, Liam, and thank you to everyone who helped make Humanity Forward a reality.
2: Oh, well, thank you, Andrew. Um, well, I, I'm, I'm very excited that we get to have uh, this event uh, here tonight with, uh, with Andrew and now over uh, 300 of uh, Humanity Forward supporters here uh, and more and more fi- uh, coming in. Um, so, I'm uh, very glad to get this thing kicked off. We've got a lot to cover, a lot to talk about. Um, so I will just say, first of all, that um, I would like to take a moment before we kick off to let everyone know um, that the that Andrew's views as expressed on this uh, event are not necessarily representative of Humanity Forward or Humanity Forward Foundation, which means, so that Andrew can uh, speak his mind, um, and that's what we're here to, to dive into. Now, tonight, what I'm really excited about, and I think what a lot of you are excited about as well um, this is going to be the first of a series of events that Humanity Forward is going to host with thought leaders and authors diving into different topics that are relevant to all of us. And I think uh, this is as great a fit as any for obvious reasons. Um, so, tonight, Andrew's going to be sharing with us about his book, Forward, uh, which I should mention <laughs> yes, you can see it there. All of you can. Uh, order or uh, you can pre-order now at andreyang.com and of course we all encourage you to do so um, and on andreyang.com you can also see the book tour that Andrew mentioned earlier um, and so look for the spot nearest to you and and maybe you can uh, go get a book signed
1: BC, um, philly boston new york of course chicago des moines couldn't miss des moines san francisco irvine atlanta Denver are going all over the place, uh, so tell your friends, show up, we'll have a delightful time, uh, sign some books, talk about the future of the country, uh, and I promise that even though we're going to spend some time talking about it right now, the book talk will be completely different, it's like I wrote another book, it'll be like I wrote two books, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or maybe if tonight's good, you can tell your friends, be like, hey, like, you know, I, I, I saw Yang talk his book, and uh, you should check it out.
2: Absolutely. Um, I do want to say up front because I want to give people the opportunity to do this because I know a lot of you have questions. Uh, A lot of you submitted questions beforehand, which are fantastic. We're going to be answering some of those uh, this evening. Uh, And then, um, but if you have a question or you didn't get to submit a question or you have another question that you want to ask, email it into us at info at humanityforward.com. We've got people monitoring the email. Uh, We're going to be pulling questions and asking them to Andrew so that you can get your answers. Again, that is info at humanityforward.com. So send in your questions. Uh, With that, uh, Andrew, I'm going to turn over to you. I think everyone here knows you, but if uh, you just want to give a brief, uh, first of all, before we get into any questions, introduction of yourself and of what inspired you to write this book.
1: I came off the presidential trail in March of 2020 and it it had been such a whirlwind number of months you can imagine so many of you were there with us, uh, helping fuel the campaign Um, and incredibly proud of everything we accomplished, Uh, you know we helped advance cash relief as a real practical solution that right now is impacting 10s of millions of American families. Uh, But in March of 2020, I came off the trail and then COVID hit and and I was scrambling to do everything I could to help. So we started Humanity Forward and started distributing cash, ended up distributing eight million dollars or so uh, over those months. uh, And then also started uh, an advocacy slash lobbying org, uh, the People's Lobby, as I like to to think of it. Um, But during that time also, uh, I was trying to process and reflect what had happened on the presidential trail. And I wanted to document it as quickly as I could because you know, like memories are still kind of fresh. Though I will confess, I had done zero reflection on the trail. Uh, you know, because and uh, Liam was there and other people were there, but it's like you're just essentially uh, plunging from one event to the next and and trying to knock out this interview or that phone call and, and and the rest of it. So some people ask me, it's like, hey, did you journal during the campaign? I wish I had truly. Uh, <laughs> so for me, the The processing began in earnest uh, in March and then continued through all of last year. And I didn't want to just tell a story about running for president, though uh, uh, Liam knows the the first section of the book is stories of running for president, uh, where I was trying to draw lessons and themes. But I was also trying to figure out what I'd learned about making change happen. Let's say universal basic income is your goal. Like, What does it take to make universal basic income happen based upon my deep, deep foray into national politics, our media landscape, uh, trying to figure out how legislation passes. And I talked to like literally, I think 65 members of Congress. Uh, so I, I started to get some um, inkling as to what we would need to do. And I also did research during this time. I, I uh, uh, referenced Ezra Klein and Lawrence Lessig and, Catherine Gale and uh, others who've done some very deep thinking about our political system. Jonathan Haidt, I want to shout Jonathan Haidt's uh, uh, incredibly profound. Um, and so that's what led to this book, Liam, was my trying to figure out, OK, if the what? I used to believe that the problem was that no one knew about universal basic income. And we all spent the last several years trying to change that, being like, hey, universal basic income, it's obvious, it's sensible, let's do it. So that's the what. of Americans last I checked were for it. Uh, A higher percentage were for some version of of cash relief. So if that's the what, the question then that hit me was the how. It's like, how can you actually get this passed? And that's what the book uh, is about, is about everything I've learned over the last several years, and then how we can actually make it happen um so that that's the process through which uh, i ended up writing the book i really excited about it liam does show up i guess maybe that's one reason why he, he digs it um but other people on the campaign also show up um but the, the book is something of like a combination of personal narratives which frankly you kind of need to make a book fun and readable <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> um, but also uh solutions and ways we can actually get real uh Massive measures like universal basic income across the finish line.
2: Absolutely. Uh, It's fantastic, Andrew. So to kind of frame the the questions uh, that are that are coming in from uh, the now over 400 attendees we have here, um, I wanted to just ask you right up front. Let's let's dive into the the meat here and the substance. What are call it the top two or three um, substantive uh, reforms or measures that you're putting forward or that you've recognized over the over this experience that you think are critical to reducing polarization and making the country a healthier place?
1: Yeah, I, I do want to preface it with the, the fact the book is in significant measure about how polarized we become, uh, which is something that I certainly saw out on the trail. Um, and uh, our media and social media landscape and our political incentives all are driving the polarization in various ways. and. That's what I think we have to fix also to get something like universal basic income passed. So, right now, if you are a member of Congress, uh, there is a 92% chance that you're going to be reelected in any given cycle. Uh, this, despite the fact that our popular satisfaction with Congress is maybe 28%, that's a very, very big gulf. And you have to look at the system and say, okay, why is it then that incumbents have such an incredibly high reelection rate? And the main reason is that 83% of congressional districts are safe seats. They're going to be either Democrat or Republican. And so if you get to the general election, you're going to win. So then what is the real danger? The real danger is that you're going to be primaried within your own party. Uh, And so to keep my job, if I'm a legislator, I just need to avoid a serious challenge from within my own party. And that ends up distorting my incentives in various ways. It makes it so I'm in lockstep with my party because if I deviate, then uh, that that becomes a big problem for me. Um, It makes me more responsive to extreme points of view. It makes me much less prone to compromise. So this is the structural reason why it seems like like members of Congress don't act like human beings, frankly, (laughs) or even they showed up as reasonable human beings. If you take a reasonable human being and put them in a system that rewards unreasonableness, you're gonna get higher levels of unreasonableness. And and that's what we have. So the biggest reform we could make that would both reduce polarization very quickly and dramatically increase the odds of something like universal basic income passing would be to change the nature of the voters that each individual legislator is accountable to from the most extreme 20% on one side or the other to just 51% of all voters. And that sounds like magic, but if we did that, it would change things overnight and it is doable. It turns out that all of the rules around how legislators get elected uh, are determined at the state level. There's nothing in the constitution about it. There's actually nothing in the constitution about political parties either. Um, And it turns out the founding fathers would be shocked and horrified that for whatever reason we have only two Um, And I do wanna deviate for a moment here, Liam. If you look at other democracies in the world, the UK has five political parties, Sweden has eight political parties, Netherlands has 18 political parties, uh, and we have two. Uh, And it's a a very fragile system because if you have one party, for example, start to have serious problems, then that's half the system. (laughs) so, So the biggest single change we can make that would both make real solutions more possible and reduce polarization by improving incentives. It's to convert and shift from closed party primaries to open primaries and then rank choice voting so that you could have a multiplicity of, of options. And this can be determined at the state level. I think you're on mute, bro.
2: Thank you. Um, thank you for that. So my, my, my only other framing question that we're gonna go into the audience questions is um, so you talked about how uh, polarized we are and how the incentives are set up in such a way to further that polarization, not not help it. Um, uh, I'm curious to, to, to dive into in this book, I think there's a lot people know the country's polarized there's something concern a lot of people have people see it around them all the time. Um, do you think that this is uh, the kind of book that people leave feeling uh, more uh, overall more uh, depressed about the way things are going, or they're going to leave it feeling more optimistic about the fact that there's actually some solutions to this? Uh,
1: I think it's uplifting in a particular way, Liam, which is that it kind of spells out why we're being set up, why we're being set up to be at each other's throats, why we're being set up to be frustrated by the lack of progress. As soon as you actually realize that the system's not designed to actually solve our problems or answer to us, then you're like, oh, wait a minute, like maybe I should actually take a step back and then figure out how to make the system work better as opposed to being within the system, banging our head against a wall, being like, why isn't it working? Why isn't it working? Um, So I like to think it's uplifting in that way, Um, though some could look at it the other way and say, hey, you know, it's depressing um, how you've illustrated how our system isn't set up for success. Uh, And again, I I took pains to try and make it kind of uh, an interesting story um, where uh, I talked about my own experiences, but I also uh, pretended the reader was running for Congress, which maybe some of you have thought about doing. Um, and then I try to spell out, okay, like here, here's the obstacle at point A, B, C, D, E, and then all let say you get into Congress, then here are the incentives for F, G, H, I, I like try and make it as real and direct as possible, uh, in part because, uh, you know, I, I wanted people to uh, understand these problems on a human level. And I, I'm not someone who thinks that people are um, you know nefarious I mean there are some nefarious people obviously but like but but what Ezra Klein said is that if you put a good person in a corruptive system uh then the corruptive system will win with ease um and and I think he's right about that
2: yeah absolutely um okay so we're gonna go to the audience questions uh so for those of you who uh are interested in uh, asking your question about uh, Andrew's book, Forward. Again, send it to info at humanityforward.com. Uh, but we have questions already rolling in, including some of those that were submitted beforehand. So, Andrew, the first question is from uh, Lewis in New York State. Um, he asks, um, one of the core values of your new book, Forward, is to work with those we disagree with. What are some of the ways we can mend the division in the country as individuals?
1: Thanks, Lewis. It sounds like you you. Got a bit of an advanced peak, which makes me uh, happy. Uh, so, I, I do talk about the principles of grace and tolerance as being core to a movement that could both unify and heal the country. Uh, and it's one reason why I'm so focused on these structural incentives because I'm very cognizant of the limitations of my making a really touching speech saying, Hey, let's all come together. We love each other. And then you just go back to fighting each other, you know, like five seconds later <laughs> because of the incentives. Uh, but Right now, 57% of Americans uh, are frustrated by the duopoly and want some kind of alternative. Um, And so if we can present ourselves as people who are uh, able to disagree with someone, but then still regard them as a human being um, and a friend and someone worth listening to, um, then I think that example can be very, very powerful, because so many Americans right now are hungry for that, are, are hungry. So many Americans right now are scared of being judged and attacked. Like if you say something, we all kind of sense that. You know, we're all kind of on tiptoes, being like, "Oh, if I say the wrong thing with the wrong person, then uh, you know they're they're going to uh, think I'm a jerk or a jackass or have very very bad attitudes or something like that." Um, And and so it's by starting to accept ourselves and the people around us, uh, and putting a name on that movement, frankly, um, because this, uh, you have to have a collective that demonstrates this set of values. Uh, you know, Liam being a nice guy is fantastic, and, and that's great. Um, but then if you actually have uh, an umbrella for Liam that other people can say, wait a minute, I, I want to, to demonstrate the same uh, attitudes and behaviors, then it can be very powerful in a polarized country. And one of the things that we're seeing right now in Congress, and the thing I'm going to suggest, is if you get five to ten percent of people uh, excited about some kind of uh, unifying third way, um, that would change the country. Like you don't need necessarily like fifty-one percent. Uh, if you have this incredibly polarized country, and then you get a critical mass in the middle, you can do a tremendous amount of good.
2: Absolutely. Um, okay, so this is a good good segue to our next question. Uh, this is from uh, Cork K. In Seattle. Cork um, asks, um, how do you avoid the spoiler effect of new parties?
1: Thanks, Cork. And I'm so glad you asked this because I got to say, first there was like the press around the rumors, like, oh, Yang, third party. And then everyone descended on like, oh, he's going to Ralph Nader and spoiler it and, and the rest of it. And there's a lot of like knee jerk uh, uh, reactivity to it. Um, and it struck me as so. Uh, going from like zero to 60 or or, or whatnot, um, because I'm deeply practical, uh, and uh, the last thing you want to do is incentivize people to do something that uh, is, isn't going to lead to an outcome they're excited about. But this is one reason why we need ranked choice voting uh, in these races, so that you can vote for whomever you like and then rank the next person second, the next person third, and then you get rid of the spoiler effect. But the duopoly and then bludgeoning us with the spoiler effect is really not the way to go. You know what I mean? I mean, no one thinks this duopoly is humming. Uh, You know, we're we're again kind of demonstrating the polarization and the dysfunction. We're 130 years in. uh, and, And so all you need to do is shift to rank choice voting. And then all of a sudden it's like, look, vote for whomever you like and we'll compete and win your votes because we're awesome would be the attitude. But instead, the attitude is like, oh, we're going to keep this archaic system where it's zero sum between two alternatives. And then if anything else tries to enter the system, we're going to say, oh, you're going to enable uh, like the the enemy to win. A- and it, it, it's it's artificial. It's like, well, that's true if you retain the archaic system and it's zero sum and they're like two alternatives. And you <laughs> it's, just, it's the third. But all you do is turn the dial and say, Ranked choice voting, do whatever you'd like. Uh, And my goal isn't around any uh, necessarily like individual um, new entrant. Uh, Again, UK at five, Sweden at eight, Netherlands at 18. I think that system would just be much more robust uh, and resistant to corruption or demagoguery. Uh, (laughs) And so what what you wanna do is you want uh, to make the system stronger and more robust. Um, And it requires a bit of vision. It requires someone to try and put down their partisan hat. And I'm going to suggest to you all something that that this really is the key. I was asked this um, uh, 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 earlier today, where if you're a Democrat and you're deeply concerned about the future of our democracy, because let's say you think that uh, there's going to be someone who comes along and uh, takes office that doesn't care about constitutional protections or or democracy and, and vote counts and things like that then you would want to do exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, like you, you could say, look, let's try and just try and like eke out like the, the wins and keep everything at like 51%. And then like we, we can like stab off, uh, you know, like uh, the, these negative scenarios, or you could look at the system and say, you know what, like, let's make it so that it's genuinely vibrant and dynamic and you have different polls and different voices. And then if there is a party that comes along, it's not going to have 51% It would be at some lower number and then it would need to get someone else on board like that's just a much better more principled approach if you're concerned about democracy which by the way we all should be like i'm 100 on board there it's like we should be freaked out um but the correct response to the freak out is to make the system uh sturdier and more resilient
2: absolutely thank you andrew um our next question uh i think goes to the, the strength of our democracy speaking about the next generation Uh, So this is from Jennifer in Frederick, Maryland. Uh, Jennifer asks, um, where do you see the future of politics going with the younger generation coming up through the system? They have been through the worst finance war and now a pandemic. Do you see a change coming in the political atmosphere for them?
1: Thanks, Jennifer. One one of the things I'm proudest of is that so many young people uh, got excited about my campaign, won the Iowa Youth vote which uh, ordinarily is a predictor, though it was not in my case. But uh, uh, we've shafted young people on every level, uh, economic, um, educational, health, like you name it, Uh, climate change, polarization. Like we just left you uh, um, mass squared. Really, it's deeply immoral. What we've done to young people—56 years old, senator, 62 years old—you can see that we essentially have a, like a gerontocracy uh, uh, up and down Congress uh, and clearly, you know, in, in other offices. So I would love to change that. Uh, you know, I could give you the usual party line about oh, young people are going to inherit this. You're being set up so that it, you're not going to be able to contend. So here's one fix that would help transform our government for the better and make young people a much bigger part of it, at least at the, the top, which I'm going to suggest is you know, what we should be striving for. 18-year term limits for members of Congress each house. It's a long time, um, but, all, but all of a sudden, you'd see different leaders rotating in um, to a much higher degree than they do right now. And the way to pass it is exempt current lawmakers, so they don't vote themselves out of office. They, they can stay until they, they lose or die. Um, uh, but then you'd end up rotating in new leadership. Because the reality is you need uh, one to $2 million to be competitive in a house race. um, And what young person can access that kind of money? So, you you know, the people who end up running are people who can access that, who tend to be more established and older. And so you have a system that will consistently disregard the viewpoints of young people, both in terms of legislative posts Um, But also because money talks, and right now, most of that money is in the hands uh, of older Americans and corporations.
2: Fantastic. Um, That makes a lot of sense. I think, again, a great segue to our next question. This is from Rashad in Boise, Idaho. Rashad asks.
1: I I just want to throw in before we get to Rashad. By the way, three quarters of Americans are for term limits. 75%. 75%. I mean, think about that. Like, it's just common sense. You go to America and be like, hey, do you think people should be able to stick around, uh, you know, for 35 years? And like, no. <laughs> like, like, everyone's on board with that. I just want to throw that out there.
2: Oh, thank you for that addition, Andrew. Um, it's great uh, stat to know. So Rashad in Boise, Idaho. Uh, Rashad asks <clears throat> about, hold on, pulling up the question. Here we go. Um, this is the, sort of related to the issue that we were just talking about, Rashad asks, um, "How can we educate our friends and neighbors? I think Rashad is a student, uh, so uh, our fellow students. How can we educate our fellow students about uh, democracy reform and polarization? Um, why would reforms make why would reforms make uh, people hate each other more? It seems like the problem is with people, not with politicians."
1: Thanks, Rashad. Uh- it's a tough time and, and people are turning against each other in various ways, but I'm old enough to remember. Uh, a time before social media, a time before even cable news, believe it or not, I mean I, I, like I'm old enough dimly to remember. <laughs> when there were like three uh, networks um, so we're being turned against each other uh, by social media media and political incentives, uh, they, they all play a role. And so if you were to try and address the excesses in each of those, you'd at least make some progress towards making us less uh, hateful um, uh, and divided. Um, now, of course, there's still human nature and, and uh, you know, humanity will always have issues. And, uh, you know, if you uh, lead in your own life, then, then that's the best thing you can do. But, we should be looking big picture. It's like, okay, why are things so bad? Why is political stress now at literally civil war levels? Uh, And it's because our politicians are rewarded for extremity. Uh, It's because our media organizations make more money based upon dividing us into ideological camps. And social media pours gasoline on the whole thing. Uh, I think that for a young person, it sounds like, Rashad, you're on the younger side. Uh, Social media really is uh, one of the key drivers um, and, and it's making young people more anxious and depressed uh, it, it's been shown to reduce your sense of well-being um, uh, and so uh, I think that's something that we can legitimately look at and say well that that's a major issue that government should uh, be examining much more closely
2: thanks Andrew okay we're gonna go to our next question this is from Johnny in West Virginia um, can Andrew explain Uh, Johnny asks, can Andrew explain uh, what his vision of a centrist is and what policies and goals they would strive for?
1: Thanks, Johnny. I I had a conversation about this just now with someone who is a self-proclaimed centrist in Texas. Um, And he's working with uh, another self-proclaimed centrist in Connecticut. And they differ on uh, gun control, as an example. like like that that's something that that they disagree with um uh with each other on um but they agree on the fact that there is a certain baseline of facts we should uh be able to accept as fact uh that they agree that uh compromise among legislators is a good thing if it moves the ball forward uh they agree on um trying to include different points of view and not thinking that it's their way or the highway and that, you know, if someone disagrees with them, then, uh, you know, they're wrong or bad, which unfortunately now 42% of people on both sides regard uh, folks uh, who are on the other side politically as literally evil. You know, I, I think centrism starts by saying, you can disagree with me about just about anything under the sun, and I will not proclaim you to be my enemy. Like if. if If you're at that point, you're probably already like, you know, most of the way towards being a centrist. Um, And so I think those are some of the principles I would take to heart, Johnny, is that if if you think that there's room for disagreement between reasonable people, uh, and you want there to be some kind of baseline of facts, you're probably a centrist.
2: Thanks, Andrew. Uh, Our next question, you mentioned uh, Texas in your answer. Our next question comes from Sani N uh, in Texas. Uh, She said, what is your favorite story from the presidential trail in your new book?
1: My favorite story from the presidential trail uh, was me being at my kid's birthday party and then another dad asking me, so what do you do? And then uh, I uh, would have a hard time saying, oh, I'm running for president because it's just the most bizarre thing for a dad to say and you think I'm Looney Tunes. Um, So I would try and duck the question. (laughs) <laughs> and say things like, oh, I'm, uh, I'm like an author, or oh, like, you know, I'm, I'm working in, um, in activism or politics. Um, but for whatever reason, that answer never really ended the conversation. They would just keep asking, and then eventually I'd have to be like, well, I have a presidential candidate. And then that conversation would go on for a solid 15 to 20 minutes And then the person at the end wouldn't be like, I'm gonna help you, I'm gonna support you. They'd be like, oh, that's really interesting. Good luck with that. Um, So I I thought that was like the kind of perspective that most people uh, would enjoy because I I was such an anonymous figure. And then by the time most people met me, they like saw me out and about or maybe on TV. Um, But uh, imagine just a, a, frankly, like an anonymous civilian deciding to run for president and then like having to explain that to his kids uh classmates dads or moms and and that happened uh to me a lot
2: well thank you andrew that's uh (laughs) a very funny story i think this is this is sort of a a related um related question here this is from tori w in anaheim california um tori asks uh what was your most difficult challenge on the presidential campaign trail that you talk about in the book
1: The most difficult challenge I talk about in the book is that you become less of a human being than a product yourself. Uh, And people act as if you're a leader, Um, but most of the time you're exhibiting what I would consider very poor leadership. (laughs) So what I mean by that is that, like to me, an effective leader would be uh, spending a lot of time managing His team and personnel, uh, and uh, trying to make the culture positive. Um, And in point of fact, if you're the candidate, you're hustling from interview to phone call to event to rally to um, uh, calling people and asking for money. Um, And and a lot of it is appearance. A lot of it is—I say in the book—it's like the appearance of leadership becomes leadership, Um, but. Uh, I compare it to running an organization, which I've done. And typically, if you're just running around chasing press, your organization's probably falling apart. Typically, like if you see a CEO just running around trying to chase press, like I would have serious doubts that that company is doing well um, because, you know, most of the time you're better served by trying to solve problems and get things right. Um, and so that was a real struggle for me. Um, it, it did end up, um, causing like a particular strain on me in part because I'm not naturally that extroverted. Um, so I comment in the book about going back to the hotel and having my muscles literally tired <laughs> from, uh, from smiling or making expressions. Uh, and uh, I didn't put this in the book. Maybe I should have, but like, I'd go home and like my, my wife would just be, you know, essentially she, she understands me. So she's like, I get it. Like, you, you know, you're, you're kind of... Um, uh not going to want to be super social. Like when, you know, on the rare days I was home, I wasn't like, hey, let's go hang out with friends or something. <laughs> like it would be. Um so that that was uh, an adjustment for me and one of the tougher challenges.
2: Absolutely.
1: Hey, William, um, do you remember any of that jazz? You were around me during this time?
2: Oh I remember it. That's that's for sure. Uh but uh I think uh I think all 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 people who run for office uh this is why that's never going to be me. It's, I, I see too many people, how difficult it is uh, to go through it. Um, but this is, this is actually uh, uh, sort of relevant. Going back to Texas, we've got a question here for you, Andrew, from Susan, who's in Austin, Texas. Uh, Susan says, hi, Andrew. One of the things I really appreciate about you is your positive attitude. It seems you are always or mostly upbeat and cheerful. How do you do it i think most of the populace of the us is worried sick and concerned about our country's future thank you
1: susan thank you susan i too am worried sick um it's awful what's happening we we are not being set up to succeed we're setting our kids up also to inherit a a very very tough uh country and, and world um so susan you can be worried sick and scared uh and pessimistic Um, and still want to do something about it and be can do and and positive about that. I mean, I'm a human being. It's not like, you know, like I obviously have my doubts and struggles uh, like like anyone else. Um, But thanks to some of the people who are on this call tonight, uh, I feel like I'm in a very, very rare position where I might be able to do something positive about it. Uh, And so that's what I'm going to do to the best of my ability. Um, It's, just going to be better for uh, for us all uh, if we, even in the face of some very very difficult facts, still have like a, a sense of um, positive change and and possibility and optimism. Humanity Forward is one of the most optimistic orgs I, I think. I mean, it's literally called Humanity Forward. You know, we're like trying to move humanity forward. Uh, and for me. Um, you know, I, I feel the sacred responsibility that some of you have had a part in, in, um, in bestowing upon me like this kind of opportunity. Uh, I will say too, the one measure that might help um, you, Susan, or anyone else is I, I try to list several things I'm grateful for every day. And you can repeat yourself because, you know, I mean, uh, eventually, uh, you know, I mean, I put my kids like every day or whatnot. Um, and it gives you a reminder that despite some of the terrible things that are happening in the world, it's like, okay, you know, like my parents are still alive, my, my kids are happy and healthy, my wife still puts up with me, you know, uh, like uh, I, I've got a, a lot of um, folks who who want me to succeed. Um, so and that's true. most of those things are true of I, I think a lot of people on this call. So you know as long as you, tell yourself these things, remind yourself, um, uh, I think we can be positive in the face of a very daunting reality.
2: Absolutely, I think uh, I think a lot of us need that right now. Uh, so thank you for it,
1: that. It's, it's a bad time. I mean, you know, like I, I confess to it. And I hope that you will see in this book uh, and Humanity Forward and the movement, uh, real solutions out of this. I mean, I think our country is kind of yearning for uh, some real solutions, um, some positivity universal basic income is a big one. Um, And and I believe that forward and open primaries and ranked choice voting is the path to get us there.
2: Absolutely. Um, So I want to, we've got uh, sort of a, 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 I'm seeing a extra surge of questions coming in uh, as we as we head into the the final portion of of this event. So
1: this um, is so fun. I can do this all night. It's so fun.
2: No, there, there, we go. Well, I, I'm oh, glad. well, I'm glad you can, Andrew. Then we'll take some more. So here's here's what I'm thinking we'll do because so we're getting a bunch of questions uh, that are about specific policy stuff. So we'll do that. I want to tackle some of those. Those are fantastic questions. We're also getting some questions here, um, sort of going back to you know using this as a segue, being optimistic, like you talked about, Andrew, and, and you know coming from the difficulty and looking forward uh, to what the solutions are. Um, I want to go to this next question. I, I do uh,
1: want to say for a moment too, Liam. Is, yeah. Is that some people, um, I like I, I felt like I owed everyone my honest take on what a solution would look like. Um, and, and you know, some people look at it and be like, oh, you know, like, you know, that seems hard. <laughs> or something along those lines. Um, but this would work, you know, like this is doable, this is real, this is achievable. Uh, and and that that's something I really pride myself in, is that you know, like, I, I'm not going to present something I don't believe. <laughs> like this, this thing, this is our best path uh, to real progress.
2: Indeed. Um, okay, so it, so we're going to have the cluster of questions that are coming in that's sort of about the book and back to sort of, you know, now we've, we've touched upon the personal side questions that are about the solutions in the book and the, and the way forward. Um, and then we have some specific policy questions. So, Um, On the solutions in the book, we've got a question here from Joyce L. uh, from San Jose, California. And uh, Joyce asks, who do you think your allies and opponents will be in pushing for the changes in this book?
1: Our allies will be uh, the 50%, 57% of Americans who are fed up. And feel like the duopoly is not working. The sixty percent who think that both parties are out of touch—not even to blame the people who are in these positions. It's just again uh, structural. Uh, now, one of the difficult things about being a, a, like in this camp—it's funny—is a lot of them are apolitical, uh, you know, and um, some of them are independents. And so, one of the jokes we tell is like, you know, independents aren't really big joiners. <laughs> They're like, what's what does a movement of independence even look like? You got that kind of thing. What does a movement of apolitical people look like? Um, So those are the people that are going to be allies, people who are solutions oriented, people who will actually take a step back from the system and be like, wait a minute, that this system's not set up for success. How do we actually solve the underlying problems? I I joked with a group of friends the other night that, again, I don't think this is everyone. Like I think that some people respond to really emotional appeals. And I was estimating that 10% of us are really rational uh, solution seekers uh, and kind of resistant to the um, uh, emotional appeals of polarization, and so that that's like the the group. And again, you don't like ten. If we got ten percent of Americans on board, we're, we're going to do it like solid and easy. Like, it's going to be great. Um, in terms of people that are going to resist, it's folks who are uncomfortable with change. It's folks who know how to work the current system uh, for their own benefit and uh, will want to keep it that way. It's people who are very, very partisan. Um, it's people who are very, very insecure about what like this new landscape might mean for them individually or for their their party, their institution. And so check it out. Let's say I was like a special interest. Um, I, I figured out pretty well how to keep things from changing uh, right now uh, and it's not that hard <laughs> because I just get, get myself in there and be like hey like you know these legislators just like you know like I give you money just keep, keep like keep things from shifting um and then if a popular movement comes along and says hey we'd like government to be more responsive to people and here's how and like you know da 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 some of them will look at it and be like wait a minute I actually don't know what that would mean for me in my interests uh and I get paid a lot of money to like keep things in a particular way. So how about I try and uh, keep it that way, and then not like my my uh, revenue will continue. Um, so that's what we're up against. We're up against a system that's going to want things to stay the same because they figured this system out.
2: Absolutely, um, that, that makes a lot of sense, Andrew. Um, okay, so our, our next question again, sticking with sort of the the solutions and, and the way forward from the book. Um, We've got a question from uh, also from California. We've got a question from Nicole, who's in Los Angeles. Um, And she asks, um, how can I explain ranked choice voting to my friends? Nicole's being very modest here. She says, how can I explain ranked choice voting to my friends? Uh, I don't even understand it fully, but I think I do.
1: Thank you, Nicole. So uh, I tried to do this. the other day in like, you know, 15 seconds or less. But it, it's a system where you get to rank the candidates you want to support uh, up to five. And then the first candidate who gets 51% of votes wins. And so that that those two things, I think people can understand. It's like, okay, I get to rank candidates. And then you don't have to, by the way, you can just vote one candidate and stop there. Um, but you can rank up to five and then the first person who gets 50.1% uh, of the votes wins. Um, and so they'll, they'll think about that for a second. Uh, actually, let me let me check, maybe Nicole can type in, like, um, do you think that explanation would work? How do the rest of you feel? Do you think that would do it? You get to rank up to five candidates, and then the first candidate who gets 50.1% of the vote wins.
2: Okay, I'm gonna, we'll, we'll Does see- Does that work? The- some of the responses that come in, uh, I'll, I'll give it a few minutes uh, for people to to message in, and we'll see we'll see what people are saying. Um, but that that seems like a sensible uh, explanation to me, um, as someone who uh, even as someone who knows it, it still can be a little bit a little bit confusing how it's calculated. But that's a very simple explanation, which makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, so now we. Got- Hi,
1: I, I you know it's something I pride myself on, Liam. It's like I really try and like. You know, just like hit it on the head.
2: <laughs> exactly. Be be an explainer. Uh, okay, so now we have got some some policy questions. Um, I'm curious, also, Andrew. I'll add this to these some of these questions. Uh, it'd be great to for you to let us know if these topics are touched upon in the book, and if not, still uh, great to great to discuss it. Yeah, hey, uh, I'm happy to say so. so. We've got a question from uh, Craig in New York City, and he asks, uh, "What is your opinion of cryptocurrency?" Do you think the U.S. should regulate it? And if they do, do you think that puts the United States behind the curve on technological adoption if other countries are already embracing currencies and their technology?
1: Craig, I'm a big fan of the blockchain and cryptocurrencies and their potential to uh, add a lot of value, a lot of value. Uh, And uh, I do think that taxing them is appropriate. Uh, You know, like it's not that they shouldn't be regulated at all. Um, but you certainly don't want to discourage innovation or competitiveness. Uh, and again, the, the potential is immense to these technologies. I mean, you, you could see uh, people being able to have all sorts of um, innovation and governance, uh, You know, uh, uh, decentralized autonomous orgs uh, and, and other things could genuinely revolutionize investment in other fields. Um, so I'm a huge fan, I'm a huge believer Uh, And whatever you do in terms of regulation should, in my mind, be uh, hand in hand with industry to make sure that the rules make sense. Um, And right now, there there is some concern that the regulations aren't going to make a lot of sense. They're going to include a lot of people um, in the definition of broker-dealer or the equivalent uh, that should not be in that category. Gotcha.
2: That makes sense. Um, Okay, so the next one is a familiar topic to probably a lot of people here, UBI. Um, So this is from uh, Joyce in Greenbelt, Maryland. Um, She says, my friends keep asking me how the country can possibly afford UBI. How does UBI help the economy and how would it be funded?
1: I love it. It's a very, very important question. Uh, First, I wanna throw out the example that uh, we passed a $2.2 trillion CARES Act last year, which was enough to give every American $6,000. Uh, and uh, we got a small fraction of that. Uh, we got 1200 And so we're seeing tons of money get put out into the economy that's not going to families. And if it went to families, we would just pump the money right back into the economy. It would go into locally owned small businesses, to food, fuel, uh, transportation, car repairs, uh, and that money would circulate over and over again through the economy. And oh, by the way, it would make us stronger, healthier, mentally healthier, better able to adjust at the same time. So as long as that's the way we're going to spend the money, um, that's actually a much better allocation than anything else we can do. Um, And because of that growth, we'd end up getting that money back uh, several times over. Now, there is a need to modernize our revenue system or a taxation system too. And what I was proposing is that if you have immense value that's gonna be generated by AI and robots, you should probably tax some of that because uh, right now the tech companies that own that stuff are essentially not getting taxed. So if you were to harness the true value of some of the innovations that are going on out there, we could realize hundreds of billions of dollars, even trillions in revenue. um, And that's where we should go as quickly as possible. We should not be trying to tax uh, human labor up the wazoo, um, you know, you generally try not to tax things that you want more of. Um, and ideally, this money in our hands would help create the next generation of jobs. That
2: is the goal. We want to be investing in our people and uh, creating that. But, but, but,
1: but I, I do want to follow this up and say, again, I think 17% of the CARES Act went to people and families. Mm-hmm. So, you know, or even now, like some of the stuff that's being discussed, In Congress, Um, now I, you know, you can say what you want about three point five trillion dollars like that. That's enough to give every American ten thousand (laughs) dollars. Just to to throw it on out there as like, uh, you know, like some of the numbers that are going on. Absolutely.
2: Um, Okay, so uh, we got one more policy question. and, and we're getting so many now. I've just I've just tallied it up. Just since this event started, we've gotten 200 additional questions, uh, which we're unfortunately, obviously, not going to have time for all 200. Uh, but that is why I encourage you. See, Andrew, I have my prop here as well. Thank you. Uh, so I encourage you all for the questions that we're not going to be able to get to. Uh, please, please, if you haven't already, go to andrewyang.com, and uh, you can get your your pre-order of the book here.
1: You You can also come. To one of our book tour events, and then I'll try and take questions there. So if I didn't get your question uh, tonight, you know, like maybe I'll just see you in person.
2: Uh, this is great. I, this is why I love the Humanity Forward community, because everyone is so active and so involved and has great questions. Uh, uh, it's just such a great, great group of, of um, members and supporters. Okay, so policy question for you. Um, okay, I'm pulling it up. Okay, so this is from. Okay, this is from uh, Franny L. Um, this is in Florida, and Franny's question is, <clears throat> "What is your opinion?" Hold on, there we go. <clears throat> Franny L. asks, "What is your opinion of the new child tax credit?" I am a grandmother, but my I'm a grandmother, but my daughter is now receiving child tax credit payments um, starting earlier this summer period.
1: That's thanks. Frank. Thanks, Franny. Probably unsurprising. I love the child tax credit. It is the greatest anti-poverty measure we've seen in my, in a generation, maybe, uh, by the numbers. Um, people are spending it on the best things possible. People are, are working more in, in many cases. Uh, and to me, the only issues I have with the child tax credit is that it should be permanent Um, And we should be broadening cash relief to include people in different types of situations, including people who do not have children. Uh, So love, love, love the child tax credit. Um, This is the greatest success in policy. 448 economists just signed a letter saying, keep it, keep it, keep it. Uh, And I think we are going to keep it. Um, it, It's just so powerful and common sense and is doing so much good. Um, um, And uh, to the extent that Humanity Forward and I have had anything to do with it. It's like the greatest feeling ever, the greatest legacy, just knowing that 70 million million lives are better uh, as a result. So let's just make it happen forever uh, and then build from there. Um, So support Humanity Forward. Humanity Forward will make that case to uh, all of the right people. Um, They're they're doing Ace's job on the Hill. Um, The People's Lobbyists, I I, uh, love... Liam and the work so much. It makes me happy anytime I think about it.
2: Well, thank you very much for saying that. Um, and thank you very much, Franny, for the question. Okay, um, so now we're gonna, uh, I wanna give you opportunity to do some closing, uh, some closing thoughts. Before we get to that, I thought uh, one of the great questions came in during the event. Um, this is from Charisse Z. Sharice uh, Z is coming to us from New Mexico. And Sharice asks, uh, what are your proudest moments and memories that you cover in your book, so it could be from the trail or from anything.
1: One thing is getting the call that um, that cash relief was going out uh, to Congress. I mean, feeling like I played a direct role in alleviating poverty was uh, one of the best feelings in, in my life. Um, on the trail, there was absolutely nothing like showing up um, in Iowa and New Hampshire and having people who come from all over the country to volunteer. For me, you know who you are. I probably saw some of you there, uh, but um, it, it's the fact that I could uh, activate people to uproot themselves and try and fight it out for the future uh, is something I'm I'm so touched by and proud of. Uh, anytime I think about it, and 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 when you walk into that room, you're like, oh my gosh, I really need to fight my heart out to try and freaking win this thing. You know, I mean, like I, I felt like I was being fueled by you all um, or the people that uh, had decided to believe in, in us. Um, so that, that's the kind of thing you never forget. Um, on a personal note, and I think I had this in my book a little bit. Um, my kids did not care about my presidential campaign uh, until they saw the tour bus in Iowa and then they were like oh my gosh dad has a bus and and uh, some thoughtful staffer had put some video games in the bus uh so in terms of like proudest moments it's like the 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 thing that made the biggest impression on my kids was the the bus
2: <laughs> absolutely uh i remember that uh they were yeah they were definitely not impressed early on so it's good you had something to impress them with they're
1: still not impressed <laughs> I don't, I don't, i'll tell a funny story that's like you know it's whatever but like at one point, one of my kids said to someone, "My dad's Andrew Yang. He ran for president." <laughs> like, which and then Evelyn was appalled that he had actually figured out that that was, um, you know, something he could say that someone would actually like respond to. So and we're like, "Oh no!" Like, is we didn't we didn't think they understood that?
2: Uh, yeah. Well, they're growing up. Um, okay. So, <clears throat> and we're still getting more questions. But I do, as, as we come here to close to the top of the hour, Andrew, I wanted to, to give you the opportunity to sort of, you know, as I think people are, are looking at, they're going to, hopefully tonight if they haven't already, they'll pre-order the book, um, as they're getting the book, um, as they're talking about it with their friends and family, as they're potentially getting it as a gift for people, recommending it to others, um, what should what is it you want people to take away from, you know, this, this, you know, chat this evening? What is it you want people to get out of this book? Um, what is it you want people to tell others when they're sharing it with people? You know, what's the, what's the message that you want to, to get across to everyone here so that we can all, you know, on all the, the, the attendees here can sort of be ambassadors of it um, after tonight?
1: Thanks, Liam. Um, so grateful to be here with you all. And, and the biggest opportunity I have, I want to convey to you all uh, is something Um, that's difficult to convey quickly, which is like, what the heck is this book about? You know what I mean? Like, and if you were to say democracy, frankly, someone's going to want to like go to sleep immediately. Like who the hell wants to read a book about democracy? (laughs) You know, like that that sounds hella boring, honestly. Um, And so I tried to convey, it's like, look, this is the story of uh, running for president and actually having that get boosted by uh, millions of Americans to a point where I was on seven debate stages, and I, I had to go through this strange press crucible. Uh, like, And I try and both convey and then reflect on what those experiences are like, and then what that means for a system, and then what that, that means for how we can actually make things happen. So if, if there's something I'd want to convey to you all is that like, one of, one of the things that I've learned over time is that um, we learn from stories, first and foremost. And this book is primarily a story. It's a story about a guy who ran for president and tried to make the, the biggest change you could think of, which was uh, eradicating poverty. Uh, and, and then what, first, I think is a fun story in the sense that you know, it's interesting, um, but then it's what I actually got from that uh, to equip us to conquer the obstacles in front of us. Uh, and, and so hopefully it becomes like a, a real path forward where you think, okay, Um, Things seem kind of intractable and hopeless and and polarized and terrible, Um, but there is a real path for us if just enough of us get together and make it happen. Um, This book, I believe, is the most important thing I'll ever do. Um, And there was a point when I thought that about the war on normal people where that book was something I was incredibly proud of. There was a long time on the presidential trail, actually. I was still prouder of the book. (laughs) (laughs) where Because the the book was like a work um, and I felt like it really conveyed a particular idea effectively. Like if someone read it, they'd be like, oh, like I think that there is something going on in the economy and automation's a thing and something like universal basic income really should be something we consider. Like I I, I was so proud of the book. Anytime I got the book into someone's hand, I'd be like, you know, that's a win, that's a victory. And I said to myself, and my wife and whoever would listen, I said, like, if, if the war on normal people is my contribution to the world, I, I will be fine and die happy, like, 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 you know, like having like that contributions like that's enough. Um, and then at a certain point, the presidential campaign overtook the book where it's like, oh, the campaign had more impact. Um, and so I became incredibly proud of the campaign. Um, and now I believe that this book is the most important thing I'll ever do because this book explains why we're so stuck, why things feel like they're not working. And then says, no, you're not crazy. Like you shouldn't expect it to work because it's actually not designed to work. (laughs) Like like it's it's designed for something else. Um, And and then uh, how we can actually redesign it so that it'll work for us. And gives real answers, like real hope. Um, Not this kind of hope of like a temporary transitory victory uh, that we know was gonna slip out of our fingers like uh, you know, a little while longer, like real lasting hope and a real lasting fix. Um, so I, I do hope that you uh, pick the book up, that you love it, that you tell friends about it. I would love to see you on the book tour. Please do sign up, bring a friend um, and uh, let's get after it because uh, people need hope right now. And uh, I believe that this is the hope that people are looking for, like a real fix, real solution. And I'll be the first to say, just like with UBI, UBI wasn't Andrew Yang's idea. Like, you know what I mean? Like a, a lot of people thought of it um, and fought for it, but before I ever arrived on the scene, this is similar where some of the key ideas in this book are not mine. Um, they're from brilliant thinkers who diagnosed our problems and said that this is uh, how we can fix them. And my role, just as with UBI, is to bring those ideas to the mainstream. You know what I mean? Uh, like the, the people who've written on these things, frankly, you know, like uh, the books were published in the academic press and like, no one's gonna, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, like, you know, like there's like a niche, um, but just like UBI was in a niche. Some of you might've been there. Um, and then my role is to mainstream it. Now my role is to mainstream this. And I would absolutely love your help in doing so.
2: Well, absolutely. Thank you, Andrew, for uh, for that wonderful uh, sort of call to action for all of us. And uh, I want to want to emphasize again, AndrewYang.com. Go and uh, pick up uh, your copy if you haven't already. AndrewYang.com. Also for the tour. Um, but I, I really want to, th- primarily, of course, thank all of you uh, for.
1: Being such thank a- you <laughs> for believing in humanity. You all yeah. are the best. I sense that I just love this community so much. Yeah, um, many the best. Everyone.
2: But I want to thank all of you for for joining us and for being such uh, great members of the uh, HF community. Uh, there's so many of you I know who I saw who are joining uh, and who had registered for this event who have been fantastic volunteers and supporters of this organization for since day one or uh, everyone from people who've been with us since the beginning to folks who've joined more recently. So thank you so much to all of you and for being here. I want to say thank you, Andrew, for uh, your forward thinking, for, uh, for thinking about solving the problems and for getting us thinking about these ideas that you've, that you've laid out here. And uh, of course, it goes without saying, I could not think of a better guest to kick off this uh, series of events that we'll be doing. So um, if you enjoyed this, uh, please, please be on the lookout for more events that we'll be doing uh, throughout the rest of uh, a, little, a few more uh, toward the end of this year and then into next year, um, look out for these. But Andrew, thank you so much for, for joining us. And I wanna mention, again, two more things before we go. Um, we have, we're going get, to be getting some great data after this event, speaking of data, uh, we're going to be getting some great data after this event on uh, everyone's role here. This is just like we do with everything at this organization. Everyone who's in attendance, all the 400s or however many of you are here now, uh, all of you. Um, so there's going to be a survey that's emailed to you afterward, and we're going to be seeing how different people want to get engaged uh, in, this, in this work. So please do fill that out. Uh, that's number one. And number two, most importantly, again, andrewyang.com for the tour and to pre-order the book. Um, wish we could see you all to say, say goodbye. But thank you again, Andrew, for, for being with us. And thank you all.
1: Thank you all. Let's do it. Let's move humanity forward. Let's get it done. Thank you. Appreciate the heck out of you, Liam. That was thank a blast. You. I really would have done it all night.
2: OK, that's, that's amazing. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, everyone. Bye, everyone. See you soon. Bye. This concludes tonight's special event. Please follow the link at the closing of our event and watch for an email for the feedback survey. Thank you again for joining and have a great evening.